What's up, everybody? We are Run the Real featuring Mike, Terry, Fox, and Dan. I apologize because I'm sick. <laughs> if Dan sounds a little different. I apologize in advance. <laughs> we watched a movie, and I got a theory about this movie, and I think I'm the first person in the world to ever come up with this theory. Because I haven't seen it anywhere. <laughs> so I'm going to run it by everybody when we get there. It's a run the real exclusive. I'm going to tell you right from the start, we watched Doctor Sleep, and the villains are secretly locomotives. Hmm. Steam locomotives. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. You're going to have to elaborate on this. I can kind of see where you're going, but. <laughs> you can see the start, but it goes deep, man. It goes deep. I came up with it by myself thinking about this movie. Not because this movie was so boring that I had to come up with something to keep myself entertained, but. It's weird that <laughs> you brought that up, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Suspicious. So Fox picked this movie. What did you pick, Fox? This is for... Well, they, they know that it was Dr. Sleep, I think. But um, <laughs> it was the one that I missed that I really wanted to see in 2019. So here we are. I love Stephen King. This is like one of his more recent books, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 2013? Man, it was 2013. Jeez, I don't even think I noticed this book until like at least we were like in mid to late college. Yeah, same. Man, and I don't even read Stephen King. Fair enough. <laughs> Dan's the Stephen King publication expert. So if you haven't watched or I guess listened to our old reviews, we did a Stephen King series where we did three Stephen King movies. Oh yeah, we did, didn't we? The Deep Cuts. And some of those got pretty obscure, like Silver Bullet. Oh, uh, yeah. But I've actually seen a lot of silver bullet stuff on other shows that i didn't realize was from silver bullet really yeah yeah a couple just a couple things like it's on in the background in some movies i don't remember which oh. one but i saw it i was like hey i know what that is i think we have two big stephen king fans on here and two guys who are indifferent about stephen king that's me <laughs> that sounds about right yeah i just say i haven't read any Stephen King, but I feel like his stories are better told by other people from what I've seen anyways. All right. I mean, there's so much stuff he's done and a lot of it has not been adapted very well, the movies, but when it's handled by the right director, you get great stuff like the Shawshank Redemption or The Shining, The Green Mile. You know, those are actually pretty tight. Green Mile is almost, like, spot on for the book, actually. What's that one? It's by the same director. Um, He did a great adaptation of, oh, Gerald's Game. Yeah, Gerald's Game was a really good ad adaptation, and then he went on to do this. Oh, yeah, I never saw that one. Yeah, Mike Flanagan. I think Flanagan has some Stephen King influence. He also directed Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, and that's a pretty highly acclaimed show. I haven't watched it all yet, but... I do enjoy most of his stuff. I've listened to a couple interviews with this guy, and yeah, he's a Stephen King fanatic. He loves Stephen King, so he was super pumped to do this, and Gerald's Game was his first adaptation, and that was like considered unfilmable for the longest time until he took it on, and he nailed it, I think, so. I like Mike Flanagan a lot. He's got potential, and he's good at what he does. I say let's dive into it here. I'll get the logistics stuff out of the way. Dr. Sleep was released in 2019. 
It was directed by Mike Flanagan. It stars Ewan McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson, and some other people. It was written by Stephen King, as we discussed already. It has a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb with a 59 meta score. It's kind of hard to see on my computer what that score is. It kind of blends into the background there. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 77% tomato meter and an 89% audience score. So this does have pretty decent reviews, especially for what they call a horror film, which I'm going to say this is not a horror film at all, but it's labeled as a horror film. There's definitely some pretty horrific stuff in this, though, I would say. I would say so. You forgot the most important thing. It's a sequel to The Shining, because that's what we need. Yes, it it follows um, the little boy from The Shining, Danny, as a grown adult now and he's like hooking up with chicks and bars and beating people with uh pool balls and yeah he's he's down on his luck when this movie starts he's acting like his father mm-hmm. kinda yeah i guess but what did you guys think about this movie well you know uh mad mike actually watched this one before me and <laughs> you may have guessed his opinion of it <laughs> so going in i was kind of expecting it to be a certain way but I gotta say, I was actually pretty pleasantly surprised by this one. Kind of caught me off guard. I did not go in expecting much. Yeah. Uh, actually, same deal. I kind of went and saw this on a whim. It was like I had off work for some reason. And I was like, man, I'm just going to go see a movie. I went and picked Dr. Sleep. I was the only one in the theater because this apparently did terrible at the box office. And yeah, I didn't have any expectations on it. And then, yeah, I was like, wow, this is actually, I think that I, I kind of like this movie. I agree with Mike, this is not a horror movie at all. It's more like a drama compared to anything else. I liked it too. It's it's slow movie. It takes its time, um, but does a good job with all its characters, I thought. My issues with it have more to do with how it relates back to The Shining as opposed to anything else, which we'll get into. <laughs> I'm going to disagree right off the start. I think that... This movie had very good potential with its characters, but did not do a good job with any of them. It did an okay job, but it could have been so much better. Well, yeah, where, where should we begin? Where should we start? It sounds like we have some things to talk about. I guess another, we did talk about how this is a sequel to The Shining, but this is where things get a little weird, I think, is because Dr. Sleep is a sequel to The Shining, but... There's the book, The Shining, and then there's the movie, The Shining, and it's kind of like, I don't know, in-between state. Like, it references Stanley Kubrick's stuff, but it's also, it feels more like a Stephen King book, I think, which is kind of an interesting dynamic. It's because, I mean, Kubrick's The Shining such a monumental film in the horror genre. You can't ignore it, and I mean, Stephen King even... Um, did his own adaptation of it because he hated what Kubrick did. And, I mean, just like with every movie that he works on or limited series, it's junk. It would be disrespectful, I think, to not make it a sequel to Kubrick's The Shining. Although in the same token, Kubrick's The Shining is a huge disrespect to King on several occasions. Yeah, but... That, too, I think, comes from King vocally, like, dissing him over the changes he was making when adapting, big, bold letters adapting from the book to a movie. 
And I, I would say most people who adapt King's works do a better job of telling the story than King did in the original. Well, I don't know about that. Most? You say most? Like I said, I've not read any, but I've I've heard lots of the comparisons to what goes on in the books compared to the movies, and I would say I think the movies generally do a better job. Having read many, many of the books, I think it's almost apples and oranges, especially in the case of The Shining. It's like a completely different story than the book. True, but I'd, the movie probably gets the the horror elements across better, I would think. Oh, I don't know, man. From what I've heard about the book and how King's adaptation turned out. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, movie-wise, the miniseries, yeah, it's garbage. But I mean, book-wise, you know, being like 11 years old and reading the bathtub lady scene. Oh, jeez. <sighs> I just I just think it's interesting. Like, Mike Flanagan was hesitant to approach Stephen King about his, like, pitch for this movie because he was like, you know, I want to bring up the movie The Shining. And he was so scared about how Stephen King was going to react to that because he hates it so much. Well, I heard somewhere that in order for King to get the rights back, he had to, like, sign a binding contract that he couldn't diss on Kubrick's version anymore. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, knowing Kubrick. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. It's also kind of become almost of like a a Disney Marvel issue, right? In that now they're trying to launch this Kingverse thing. So, you know, we can't have Stephen King out there bashing on his own film universe. Man, I'm still not convinced about this Kingverse that you keep talking about, I gotta say. I mean, they've done a lot of stuff for it now. Castle Rock ties it all together. I'm gonna say that this movie was only made... Because of it. Probably. It's it's in the Wikipedia. This movie was only made because of the success of it. Because it was huge. And then they were like, oh, people love King again. We got to put out more King. And this is nothing like it. They're like, what else do people love that we own? Oh, The Shining. Let's make a sequel to that. Well, they were trying to get this movie made since 2014. But... Nothing happened until it came out in 2017, and then immediately after that, and it made a ton of money, they were like, all right, we got to make another King movie. And so it, too, was already, I think it was already greenlit before um, the first movie came out. And then after it came out, they were like, all right, we need to get Doctor Sleep made, too. But talking about the universe, yeah, I did see where Flanagan was saying that this was kind of trying to reconcile the Kubrick and the book and like the Kingverse all in like one instance because he kind of considers them all to be the same universe of stories, maybe similar to comic runs in their various universes and dimensions. Oh my. Which obviously is a monumental task. You know, I kind of wish that he hadn't connected it with the the Kubrick one, after seeing what happens at the end of the movie, I'll get to it when we get there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's my biggest complaint is that I don't I think it almost feels a little unnecessary to even have any connection to that movie. Like I get why they do it. And some of the parts are kind of cool, I think. But the shining moments, I always feel like are kind of more feel like they had to be put in there rather than like a necessity. And stuff at the beginning, I feel like is kind of fluffy it doesn't feel like it matters i mean it matters to kind of give the backstory because this is this is a sequel but it feels like the movie doesn't start till uh danny torrance is all grown up and he's like recovered from his 
alcoholism for the most part. He hasn't recovered, but he's he's been sober for a while and he's trying to clean up his act. That's when I feel like the movie actually feels like it starts and the rest is just kind of a prologue. I'd agree with you there, Terry. I think since it is a sequel to The Shining, we do have to have that lead up so we can see how the effects of that movie have traumatized him and his mom and how he's turning out to be like his dad at the start of the movie, but he's actually going to get better is his goal because he wants to help people out so yeah i think it's necessary but the real meat of the movie isn't until like he said when he gets better and he starts getting connected with abra stone who can shine even more than he can i'm trying to think in my head if like we had just pretended this wasn't connected to the shining at all and just kind of started him off even just like when he was drunk and trying to recover I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it could still work pretty well as a movie. Like if we just kind of like redid some of the ending, of course, but I almost would have preferred it that way a little bit. Made it more its own thing as opposed to the sequel, which I mean, it still is its own thing for over like seven eighths of the movie, which is nice. But yeah, yeah. Danny feels like a side character for a lot of this in his own movie. And I don't think that's cool. I gotta say, is it his movie? I mean... That's the thing. Is this a Danny movie, or is this the little girl movie, or is this the villain movie? Like, the three of them have a huge part in this movie, and nobody has the, like, star standout as we're the main character in this. And that's a major criticism I have of this movie, is because there's these three people constantly fighting for main character status, I guess. And I don't feel connected or attached to any of these characters. Danny's got the main protagonist arc because he goes on the the hero's journey, sort of, in this film. More so than Abra, because Abra comes in and she's like uber strong, and then she stays uber strong, pretty much. Whereas Danny starts out down in the dumps and then realizes he can use his powers for good, and then has to triumph over the vampires or locomotives, as Mike's going to get into, (laughs) and then has to overcome the hotel at the end, too. And he's got the old mentor guiding him through, too, so he goes on the hero's journey, sort of, in this, whereas Abra doesn't. So I'd argue Danny is the main character, but I do agree with you, Mike, doesn't feel like it most of the time. (laughs) He's just kind of there and guiding things along, but he's not the main focus of this, which I think is a huge mispotential of this movie and its character development because there's a part in this movie um, towards the end when the little girl's dad dies, uh, Danny's best friend dies, and they just gloss over it because there's not time to have each of their loss scene, their grieving scene. And that's like a huge thing. If you go through the the hero's journey or whatever, that's supposed to be the loss of the mentor comparable. It's not, Billy wasn't really his mentor. And I guess the dad wasn't really the mentor of the little girl. But that was like a huge character moment that was just very quickly swept under the table and completely ignored like three minutes after. If even that, probably like 30 seconds. 
They had some discussion about it in the car, but I mean, yeah, it wasn't like a huge deal, I guess. I guess it could have had a bigger impact. So let me throw this out there and see if you guys agree. I feel like this movie is the third act of Danny's hero's journey, right? I feel like there's his like, you know, young years, whatever, The Shining. And then we get up to the point where he's a druggie. It's like the dark night of the soul right there. Yeah, exactly. So that's like his, well, okay. So I, I, I would say, I feel like that's where his call to action happens. Because like, is Dick Halloran still alive at that point? No, he's dead. Okay, so I guess I feel like his call to action is like, you know, his best friend, Billy, finding him and taking him in and getting him set up. And then we have eight years of rising action and becoming a better man, becoming stronger. And then we get to this third act where the true struggles and true power and Dick's like, hey, man, you know, I helped you for a long time, but now I'm gone forever and it's all up to you. I feel like this movie is the third act of his journey. Yeah, I could kind of see that. That's why I feel like it's like, yeah, it seems like he's like out of his own story so much. It's because we missed two thirds of his story. Well, and there's in the other movie, kind of, I guess. But he wasn't the main character in that one. Both of them have weird main character things, too. Because he's kind of the main character, because it's called The Shining and all that. But the focus is more on Jack Torrance in the first one and him going mad. And then this one, he's kind of the main character again, but then there's Abra, who also has a lot of these same hero's journey moments, too. It's very weird from your traditional protagonist plot setup. Which, I didn't necessarily mind it, though. I did like it. I like all the characters in this movie, and I kind of liked that they all had an equal opportunity to have their moments and stuff. It was kind of neat to yeah spend time with everybody equally. I, too, enjoyed this. I wanted a bit more from Abra's character because she comes in super strong and she stays that way the whole time. And like, she's pretty static for the most part. I never really felt like she was in danger till she got to the hotel. But that's because we had that whole other movie <laughs> that said it. <laughs> I, I did like those scenes, though, of her just like, it's kind of. What I was talking about with like, um, like with Scream, where the villain just keeps getting beat up on. I kind of like that in this movie, where yeah, every time they try to like psychically attack her, she's like just so strong and so powerful. Like she is the the white whale that they've been searching for, and it kind of uh, shows the frustration of the villain even a little bit, and kind of gives them more motivation, and you kind of start to see where they're coming from too. I just loved how they did the psychic like battles in this film i thought they were done really well good visual representations of everything when she's flying over the earth and like the city and stuff with the heartbeat music going oh that was so cool i liked that heartbeat a takeaway from the kubrick film <laughs> are we ready for the theory you brought up the villain let's hear it all right so the villains or the villain of this movie, they are representative of locomotives. Okay. Mm. This is a theory that I have here. Stay with me. The main comparison is the steam in this movie. Apparently, your shine is a steam that comes out of your body. You know what else loves steam? <laughs> locomotives. Locomotives run on steam, and the villains get off on it and use it to survive as well. And get more powerful and keep moving. 
Yes. They keep going. They keep barreling down with this steam, which <laughs> leads them into living long lives. Locomotives can last a long time. Oh, jeez. This is true. <laughs> so do, or so too do the villains in the movie, which make them old and rustic. The old man who dies in this movie represents a locomotive going out of commission. Oh. <laughs> His time has come and he must go. Wow. And they recycled him for parts. Yes, oh they did. Oh, my God. They took up his steam. <laughs> they mentioned how they'd seen many kingdoms rise and fall, and the steam engine was very important in establishing industry. Yes, locomotives <laughs> saw the rise and fall of industry, just like the old man as well. Wow, wow. okay. Yep. <laughs> you brought up the quick transportation with the psychic powers. Locomotives did quick transportation back in their day. <laughs> Covered long distances. Wow. Okay. That's very long distance. <laughs> so wait, is the little girl also a a train? She doesn't eat the steam, but she could be. She could be a locomotive. They tried they try to offer her to join the crew of the locomotive who keeps it going over all these years. The temptation of industry. Yes. <laughs> so Headlights. Locomotives have headlights as well. Just like the villains of this movie, whose eyes light up. <laughs> wow. To cut through the dark night. It's true. Can't argue with this so far, yeah. You can't like look, it keeps going. Locomotives have pressure gauges. Uh-huh. Just like locomotives that has high pressure that increases over time. So does the group's pressure increase throughout the film as they don't have enough coal to keep going. Wait, now you've brought coal into the mix here. Yeah, I thought they wanted steam. I feel like if they ate the coal and then produced the steam, but they eat the steam, you know. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying how it is here. This is a theory. I know how Stephen King loves haunted devices. This is clearly a locomotive that he just masked underneath people. <laughs> Here's another one. They can't feed themselves. They have to rely on others to provide sustenance. Ah. Just like the locomotive requires you to to shovel coal into it. They have the crew. The group in the movie represents a steam locomotive crew keeping the old machine alive. Well, uh, they even hmm. have a huge caravan that drives in single file, very reminiscent of... The cargo being pulled by a locomotive. A lot of locomotive imagery in this movie. A steam locomotive hauls, just like in the movie. Not only do they haul themselves just around, like in the movie. <laughs> it's everyone else that they've sucked up through steam throughout the years. All right. I'm on to something here. Yeah, they had to take safety measures. Just like safety valves on a locomotive, the group has to take safety measures to protect their existence. Hmm, Only okay. sending out one member of <laughs> the group to find additional steam. Just like trains, you have to be safe. Yeah, <laughs> got to detach the one train car. To... Yes, just like braking, locomotives have brakes. Just like the group did in the movie when they realized they were all dead <laughs> and the conductor needed to think of a new strategy. Wow. Okay. So th this is like very meta <laughs> metaphor here. Yes. <laughs> the biggest one is the steam. Oh, they love steam, man. You can see it in their eyes. Yeah, they do love steam. Yes. Just hmm. like a steam locomotive. <laughs> The steam locomotives love steam. <laughs> they love it, <laughs> Terry. <laughs> okay, well, you've brought up some very interesting points. 
I realize it's not a great theory and it doesn't hold up. <laughs> wow. But, well, you know, yeah. I did not like this movie much at all. No. I had to come up with something to uh, keep myself entertained during it. Mainly the scene when they're all like getting in there and sniffing real deep. They're like, man, that's like five scenes in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It like happens so much and it's just the sniffing of steam out of people's bodies in this movie really rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, this is a very blatant Stephen King thing here that does not look good on film at all. I thought it looked pretty good. I liked that quite a bit. It goes back to when there's a lot of movies where you suck like people's souls out of them in movies. And it looks like that. I don't know. Something about it every time in the movie or in movies when they suck like people's souls out and it looks like steam or something. I don't know better way to do it, but it just looks so bad. It's one of them things, I, I agree with you, Mike. It's one of them things that's left on the page so you can interpret it how you wish because it's it's a hard thing to get right on the film. And it's more confusing in this one because they're talking about people shining and then they produce steam and stuff. It's kind of... I don't know. It's a little convoluted, I'd say. I think what they call steam is what they call shine, though. I think that's like the same thing. There you go. TV's on top of it. It's weird, though. You don't expect it to look like that when it's called shine and all that stuff. They never show anybody shining. They only show steam. It's I don't. It's it's weird. I mean, why do they call it the Shining in the 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 first movie? Uh, cause Dick Halloran's grandmother said that he could that she could see him shining whenever he would like project. See, that doesn't make much sense either. I don't think. I'm gonna say, why does it need to be steam? Why can't they just like eat the guy? Like, wouldn't that have been more? you know, along the lines of what they were trying to get out of this. Like, this is completely disturbing. They're killing this guy and they're going to eat him to get his shine. Like, why not? Now, wait, I feel like we're confusing the novel and the film here. In the novel, it's just an invisible psychic essence. They just call it steam because you inhale it like you would a steam. It's like a vapor. Oh, I'm going to criticize that too. It's like, it would have been a lot more disturbing if they would have ate the guy to get his shine. The true knot are supposed to be vampires, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious that's what they are. I think it would have been more effective, more horrifying if they would have just ate the people too. Stephen King's nothing if not creative. So I'll, I'll give it a pass um, for doing the steam thing. I just, I do think it gets a little confusing and convoluted when talking about the same thing and they use like two or three different ways to describe it it makes sense though i think it's kind of like in like the walking dead where everybody has a different name for the zombies you know it's just different people come up with their own thing because it's so uncommon i think i think it's pretty horrifying though the scene we do get with what we're talking about with the little boy like that is so intense dear god yeah that is a freaky scene and i think it amplifies the the evil too when they're like the steam is more effective when they're scared and they're in pain. And it's like, oh, God, so they're just going to torture this kid until he finally kicks the bucket. Like, that is just, oh, geez. Ugh. So, yes, the kid scene is very horrific, but it could have been, like, more impactful if they would have ate him. I don't know about that. Some people <laughs> would have said they went too far, though, probably. Yeah, that's getting into, like, green hell territory or something. I saw a lot of 
reviews about this where they were already thinking that they went too far with that scene. The crying seems very real. That's what got me was like his sobbing and screaming. That kid really sells it. Yeah. The kid does a good job, but I'm going to say the scene later on when they're at the actual like Overlook Hotel and she's like sucking up stuff that comes out of Ewan McGregor. (laughs) That looks bad. Whiskey flavored. I like that. Your shine is tainted. You taste like whiskey. I gotta liked that one. I I really liked all the seam stuff. I thought it was kind of cool, but to each their own. I liked how they would like milk them for steam and keep it in the jars. Yeah, <laughs> open later. That was very Stephen Kingy. I liked how she would like take stuff from them and put them on the jar too. That was like creepy <laughs> and nasty. I was like, oh man. You know what this ma- this movie made me think of most of all was the X Men. This feels like it could be an X-Men movie with like all these people with powers running around. This would make a very good X-Men movie, especially in the day and age of um, Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) This feels like a pretty cool like superpower story almost. It does, yeah, which is not how I would have done it, but it works good, I think, when it's doing its own thing. Yeah, it's like the classic, I don't know, it might not be that classic, but there's one of these like X-Men kind of, tropes where they find this mysterious super powerful young mutant who has all this potential it, it reminded me a lot that's kind of even like phoenix a little bit where it's like everybody's after the phoenix because she's so strong and they all want to do different things with her and she's got to decide what she wants to do and that kind of thing you have very much described the king verse at its core which is a bunch of telekinetic young people <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is actually but i think it's easy to forget that the king verse is like at its deepest, full of the stories of people with telekinesis that's tied to some Lovecraftian spirit world, which apparently I had forgotten that the Dark Tower was a part of. Yeah. This movie made me think, like, because they have a line at the end, it's like, well, I'm sure these aren't the last of, you know, there's other things like this out there, you know, they're not the only shine hunters or eaters or whatever. And I thought, I was like, hmm, is the clown eating people shine oh is that what he does uh maybe i think uh i think christine is a good example she's kind of like the overlook you know i was thinking about this i think christine represents the automotive industry (laughs) i love it (laughs) no keep going (laughs) let's hear it let's hear it nah uh tune in later for uh, (laughs) my christine (laughs) analytic podcast (laughs) you know danny rides on his little trike in this movie which is symbolic of the locomotive and the automobile yes they have (laughs) wheels just like trains and the hallways are the tracks that carpet it does look like tracks Kind of. <laughs> it looks like landing pads for a spaceship. That's what it looks like. Oh, <laughs> so deep, but yet so shallow. Well, you know, I wouldn't say that Dan Torrance's story was shallow, though, in this one. I thought he had a lot of interesting character developments and stuff, and the parallels between him and his father were interesting and in seeing how he deals with it and everything, I thought was cool. I do agree I wanted more of Dan Torrance in this movie and how he's adapting to his life after what happened in The Shining. Which you get some of it, you get do get a decent amount of it, but there's a lot of stuff that takes away from it too. 
I wanted to see more of him being Dr. Sleep because I thought that was actually a really like cool and touching part of what he's using his ability to do, which I was like, this is actually really cool and really nice. And I wanted to see more of that aspect of it. That felt a lot more um, like the green mile. And it's such a brief part of the movie. It's probably there's maybe two scenes that are actually in there. And that was actually amazing character development. Yeah, those were awesome. And it should have been in there so much more than what it was. Was there more of it in the book? Or have you guys read the book? I have not read the book. There's a little more. But I mean, there's like bigger jumping around with uh, Abra and Rose. Abra has more development chapters and whatnot but i don't know i really liked visualizing old dan though i don't know i feel like his struggle in some instances seeing the pain on his face as he thinks about alcohol is better displayed in film oh yeah because there's that great part after he loses abra or whatever and he goes and gets the bottle and then he's he wants to drink it but he's like i know i shouldn't and he you can just see his struggle. Ewan does a great job in that scene, showcasing his inner turmoil. There's a scene that's right after his friend dies, too. That's a pretty big moment of turmoil for him. But it's not directly related to Billy dying. I would say it definitely is. It's, like, connected, but I don't know. I wanted more. So Billy pretty much put his life together for him. There needed to be a scene that actually put all that together. And I don't feel like that scene did that because it was more of an internal struggle with him and alcohol, not him dealing with losing his best friend and the person who put his life back together. That was not representative of that for me at all. Well, the whole reason he's going for that bottle, though, is because his friend died and everything went wrong. Like he brought him there and it's his fault, that kind of thing. It made him feel so low that he has gone back to thinking about going back to his old habits. Oh, yeah, the very thing that Billy saved him from. Maybe. I just feel like I got gypped and cheapened with his character a lot in this to fit in all the other stuff that had to happen as well. And this movie is super long. It's two and a half hours long. Well, you may be pleased to hear that there is like a three-hour director's cut that's supposedly a lot better. Yes, I almost did that instead, but then I was like, no, I should do the same. <laughs> I will probably watch it at some point, because I am curious. I've heard it's really good. So I want to see it, too. That may have the stuff in there that I wanted, but there's probably still the stuff I didn't <laughs> like in there, too. Is it worth the risk? Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody gets a good amount of time. The main three, anyways. Like, it's it's divided up pretty equally amongst them. So speaking of Danny, I did think it was really refreshing. You know, we've, we've had this arc many times in many other stories of people who are, you know, telekinetic or psychic or whatever, and they struggle with the ability to, like, sense things around them and witness the horrors other people witness and the horrors of the past, and they turn to drugs and alcohol... But then they stay there and they live in it and they justify it with like, you know, their issues or they beat it. But then at the end, something bad happens and they go back to it and they're like, 
I don't even care now. I'm so angry. I just need one thing to set me straight. And I thought it was refreshing to see Danny like be like, no, no, I'm, I'm better without. I don't know. It's kind of a change of pace from the usual trope, I thought. That's a good point, Fox. That was not showcased in the movie very well, but I feel like could have been. No, no, I think it is, because when they go back to the hotel, he has probably the only thing I liked about him going back to the hotels. He goes to the bar, and his dad's there as the bartender, and they have that exchange, and that kind of showcases Fox's point there. Yeah, I love that exchange. Like, the whole, yeah, I agree, like, the Shining stuff, I feel like it's kind of unnecessary but yeah i'm glad that that's there for that scene because that scene was really interesting it showcases the struggle with alcohol yes but it doesn't so what fox said that was really interesting is that they get to see everybody else's problems and everything they're struggling with with their shine that is not shown in that scene it's the struggle with alcohol yeah well there's a lot of layers to it though too well it, it ties back to the original movie because when jack's there he takes the drink and everything and slumps back into his problems again. Whereas instead of Danny doing that, which is the the trope at that point, you would expect him to since he's in the worst place possible and he's probably going to die. Instead, he's like, no, I'm going to be better without it, like Fox said. And at the same time, shows how he's improved upon his nature and it's not going to be like his dad. So it kind of, it, it's... It's a combination with the original movie and the events that happened at that point on top of this one that makes it makes it better, I think. And I think there's like the added layer of, um, you know, the whole reason he like is well, maybe not the whole reason, but some of the reason he has been, you know, drinking and doing this stuff is to dole the shining is what I got from this. And so that kind of is another like layer of, of him kind of accepting that this gift might not be so bad, you know, with his doctor sleep stuff and kind of embracing it and accepting it too. And he becomes a mentor for Abra. So he's like, in a way, Abra's teaching him how to shine again, which is neat. Yeah, because his first advice was what? Wasn't it just like, just stop doing it. Keep your head down. This is only going to cause you trouble. And then at the end, he's like, you know what? Just keep shining. So Abra loses her dad in this movie and you don't get that scene either. I mean, you, yeah, that's true. I mean, I thought it was pretty horrifying to see his body just slumped there, kind of like it was uh, nothing. You know, it was like, this is nothing to this guy. He just killed this man and took the girl. He doesn't care. Like, and that's kind of what I thought he's going for with the, yeah, the slow zoom out and just seeing the body there. I mean, like, yeah, he, this, this guy's brutal. He's not caring about emotions or anything like that. He's just going to kill him. So, yeah, that's horrifying. But so is Abra's indifference to it. I do wonder if that's part of her character. She does have some pretty horrifying moments. <laughs> yeah, she's like evil, man. I don't know. Maybe a scene of when they were driving to the Overlook, just Danny pulling over, and they both just like hold each other and cry or something, you know? Like something like that. That's all this movie needed to have a grieving scene for both of their characters because they both lost somebody incredibly important to them. And I don't feel like there's a grieving scene for either of them. I'd agree with Abra, yeah. Definitely not for Abra, but I, I wonder if she would grieve, though. I don't know. I, I wonder how much she really cares. I think she cares, because she takes the time at the end to tell her mom that dad's all right and all that. I think given what Danny can be do as Dr. Sleep, 
they could have done something really cool with using the shine to have them talk to the dad or the best friend to kind of represent the grieving process and stuff. I think that would have been neat if they'd done that. Because I do think you're right. They kind of, especially with the dad, um, they do just brush over it because it feels like they're trying to get to the end a lot quicker. Even though, I mean, they've taken two and a half hours to tell the story. They could have, it's not like they weren't in for the long haul. Yeah, and this movie really came across to me more as a drama with thriller slash light horror elements on it. And for it to present itself in that way to me, missing these key character moments is such a huge flaw that I can't overlook this stuff from when it presents it to me as a drama. And I'm like, okay, I can't buy your characters after this because you just glossed over huge character development moments. I know you guys disagree with me on the Danny one, but it's it's just them combined. I feel like the one who showed more emotion about people dying was the actual villain, the locomotive of this movie. Um, whatever her name the hat was, because she like was screaming and yelling and incredibly distraught and wanted to go kill the two of them for what they did to her family. I, w- I will agree that I think Aber does kind of get the shaft a little bit with the character stuff. Just, yeah, because I feel like, yeah, we get a, a decent amount with Danny, we get a decent amount with the villain, but... I mean, Abra learns to like accept her powers and stuff, but besides that, there's not a ton. That's just where I'm at. Those are my main gripes I have. I did like how much development Rebecca Ferguson's character got. Yeah, I loved her take on this villain. It was really cool. I liked it a lot. These weird like vampire hippies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Locomotives. (laughs) (laughs) Their costumes were so good, too. It's like, I don't even know. It It was neat. You don't really see it done that way very often, so it was a neat take on it. Yeah, it was different. I really liked it. I especially liked um her like main henchman, the crow, crow daddy, whatever his name is. He was my favorite. He seemed very intimidating when he's like, I've got tricks of my own. And you're just like, oh, geez, like, what's this guy do? I kind of wish I would have like got to know like what some of these people's like powers were. We learn about like the snake bite lady and... Her, like, main thing, they have, like, terms like pushers and pullers or whatever, but I do kind of wish I would have learned what Crow Daddy's deal was. He just seemed like he was pretty smart. That was his <laughs> his main thing. They do a good job exploring them, showcasing their motivations, even though you definitely don't agree with them at all. <laughs> They're all just justified in their mind, and it works for the movie. Especially at the end there when Ferguson goes on the rampage. Yeah, I feel like, you know, this is maybe, you know, if they are doing this King verse thing, which I genuinely think they're trying to. Maybe. So this whole push thing and people having different powers thing, right? You know, it goes all the way back to his first success novel, Carrie, with like a telekinetic teenager, right? But then Firestarter is where we get the whole push term and people doing different telekinetic powers and people delving into drug abuse because they're disturbed by their own psychic telekinetic powers. And I feel like if they had made Firestarter before this, and maybe given us some basis for these people and their X-Men-esque kind of setup, I don't know, it might have helped relate the full group even better. That could be. I don't know, it feels like with the, the, the one tie-in they already have I felt was a little excessive, so if they <laughs> started tying in a bunch of other stuff too, I might not be as... Fair enough. 
I don't know. I think your X-Men analogy was pretty spot on. <laughs> the more I think sure, about it. Yeah. <laughs> They're all pretty much mutants. They don't feel comfortable in their own skin. <laughs> Looked down upon by a lot of people. Everybody thinks they're weird. Well, that's why this movie works best as its own thing and not when it's trying to connect back to The Shining. Um, besides, like, Danny trying to overcome what happened in that one. Yeah, Shining doesn't really delve too deep into that at all. Yeah. So let, let's go ahead and talk about that last 30 minutes of Doctor Sleep because for me, this is the part that doesn't work very well and I had a lot of issues with it. So I'll just put out all my stuff right now. I did rewatch The Shining like right before watching Doctor Sleep since it had been a while since I'd seen The Shining. I wanted to be caught up with everything since this was the sequel. And it's really neat because they use the same music and like the same logo. And then when they're actually going back to the hotel at the end of the movie, they film it the same way that they did, but it's all um, different because of the seasons and the out or the overlook. I almost said the outlook. The overlook hotel has um, been run down and everything. So that's pretty cool. Going back though, it kind of. It doesn't really work, I think, and it, it cheapens the effect of Kubrick's movie a lot because Kubrick's movie is very ambiguous. You don't really know, is Jack going crazy? Is the whole family going crazy? Is the hotel doing something? Is it a combination of both? You don't know throughout that whole movie, and that's part of what makes it really scary is because you're not quite sure what's going on the whole time. But then Dr. Sleep comes along, and it does what a lot of sequels do, where it tries to explain away everything. And in doing so, it turns everything creepy about The Shining into like this collection of monsters, as opposed to them being abstract ideas or like, reincarnations of the past murder in the hotel or all that stuff. It just cheapens it so much by turning it into a, a monster collect-a-thon quest. Or it's like, here's my big monster I'm going to let out to attack you instead of it being ambiguous like it was in The Shining. It, it really didn't set well with me at all, and I didn't like it. Because it just cheapens Kubrick's film so much by doing that. I mean, the rest of the movie's not even like close to what Kubrick's film is. It's its own thing. And I wish it would have just stayed that way the whole time. I mean, going back to the hotel's cool. And you can make it work. But you gotta treat it right. And this movie does not do it correctly, I think. It just, it just cheapens everything from the location by explaining it away when I don't think it should have done that at all. I think this comes down to Flanagan trying to connect everything because this isn't a sequel to the Kubrick film. It's an adaptation of the book, which is a sequel to the book, The Shining. But he uses all the visuals and aesthetics of the Kubrick film. So I mean, yeah, I think that's why it feels cheap is because, you know, they, they use all the same visuals and characters, but it's not the sequel, which is, yeah, a very weird thing. <laughs> I don't have a good example of that besides this. <laughs> it's in a weird limbo in between the two, yeah. 
and they recast Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson with not very good lookalikes who definitely aren't as good actors as they are. I would have preferred them to actually bring them back as a lot older versions of themselves for doing the things as opposed to just recasting them. As much as I like that scene between Danny and Jack at the bar, it is very distracting because you're like, that's not Jack Nichols <laughs> or Nicholson. I don't know. I thought I thought uh, the Shelley Duvall lookalike thing was kind of iffier, I thought. But I, I thought the Jack Nicholson, like he looked close enough and he had kind of the same mannerisms, but he had it was kind of off kilter. And I took that as, you know, it was the hotel version of him. So that might explain some of it. He was kind of acting more like the bartender guy a little too from The Shining. I just didn't like that at all. Doing the, the hedge maze thing when they're in Danny's mind was was cool. I did like that. It's like doing throwbacks like that would be okay. But just like when when he brings all the monsters out basically to attack Rose the Hat and then they like it has that shot of them all sitting there looking at him after they eat her. And it's like, really? That's kind of cringy, I thought. And it's just, it's such a disservice to what Kubrick did with that first movie. It just, yeah, I really didn't like it. I wanted it to just be its own thing. Well, see, it would have made more sense if it was Danny, just Danny going back to confront his past. It would have made more sense if it was handled a lot differently than what it was. Because I agree with you completely, Dan. It felt so weird, out of place. It didn't fit with everything else that happened in this. And if you look at the promotional stuff for this movie, all they used was him back at the Overlook, pretty much. And then him falling in the room that he got put in by Billy, like when it got tipped on its side. Like all the promotional stuff, they were just going off of, hey, look, he's going back to where he was before. And it doesn't fit with the way this movie presented it. They just would have treated it with more, I don't want to say treated it with more respect because he does respect that movie a lot. But at the same time, he just takes all that ambiguity and it's like, oh, it's just a monster movie. There's no um, Jack Nicholson going insane and all this is in his head. They're all monsters. It's such a bad thing to have as a sequel. The problem is that they're in a rock and a hard place, right? I mean, do you guys know how the book The Shining ends? Um, no. It ends like this movie ends, where the Overlook burns down. So it's not there anymore in the book, Dr. Sleep. So, yeah, this, in classic style of Shining series adaptations, the ending of this movie is 100% different than the ending of the book. Because, you know, Kubrick was like, hey, F you, Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree, though. I think the I think the Shining stuff is it just feels like, I mean, it's like the source of all of his inner conflict, I think. But it's also, it feels weirdly like out of place it does feel like oh and now we have to be obligated to go back to the hotel or something like that like i think it's cool when they do go back but i wish if they were going to do that route make it more of a, a focus throughout the entire movie rather than just at the beginning and at the end danny should have done it before he even met abra went back and taken care of his stuff before and that's how he gets his final jump from dealing with alcoholism disagreeing with his past, all that stuff. 
If he would have taken care of it way earlier in this movie, I think it would have been a much stronger character development arc for him. Yeah, I think, yeah, and this, he just does it all off screen. He, like, sucks up all the ghosts into his boxes and stuff. We only see him do it to one and then, yeah, kind of forget about it. So if they would have done it your way, Mike, they wouldn't have had to resort to bringing out um, the monster mash, right? (laughs) They could have brought back, like, Jack or had um, his mom there doing weird. They could have done different things, right, instead of showing us everything we'd seen. And then it would have left that ambiguity of, is he really seeing things here or is this just all going on in his mind because of all the traumatic events he's had. I think that would have made it a lot stronger. It would have made it a lot scarier when they actually got there. And it would have served the purpose for Danny's character development more. And we wouldn't have got the ridiculous and kind of hypocritical part where he gets taken over and running around with the axe like his dad did. That was like... I didn't like that at all because it kind of goes completely against his whole character arc and everything in the film. I think it was a bad choice by Flanagan because it's exactly how The Shining, the book end, plays out, where Jack is trying to be a good father, gets possessed, chases his family around, is about to murder Danny, and Danny's like, wait, Pop, and stops the hammer and is like, oh, you're back. I've got you now for a moment. And he's like, I'm back, son, but you've got to get out of here. We got we got to destroy the hotel. Exactly the way this movie ends. So it's like Flanagan trying to, again, yeah, shoehorn everything in. I'm going to jump in here and say I think another reason that the ending feels so off is the most of this movie is a man versus man conflict. And then the end is like throws in this ghost supernatural aspect into way overdrive and that's how they actually beat the villain it doesn't feel like a good resolution to that struggle it comes out of nowhere yeah yeah it's just like hey we can't beat this person because she juiced up on a whole bunch of steam so we need to call in all these demons that i've been slowly putting away over the years. Which I do like that idea. I think that idea is pretty cool. It is a cool idea, but if it was presented and built up to better. Yeah. They need more scenes of him doing it. Yeah. I don't know why he didn't do it to that um, drugged out woman that died in his old house and the baby. Like, he, if we, we probably should have got a scene of him, like, capturing them in the little box, too. I feel like. Just to remind us that that is something that he can do in this movie. And I mean, even doing that. He can do that and it still works with that first movie, right? Because it's basically him repressing all his memories is what it symbolizes at that point. So that way he can deal with his future and stop looking back at the past. And then he just brings them out to fight the big evil at the end and it ruins that whole aspect. I kind of see what he's going for, though. He's been locking up all these things that kind of symbolically you know it's his past traumas that he's locking up and finally at the end he finally decides you know i'm gonna face him literally let them out of the box and face them and he almost gets overcome but turns it you know he he stops himself at the end and i kind of like that but i do think they could have done a little better with that too it was not my favorite i will say that's the the one thing that didn't sit well with me in this film was that ending and 
what they what it means for the original film. So, so I've got a part that I didn't think it was. A, I thought it was kind of funny this time around. So I've seen this a couple times now, and uh, I just love this old woman in the bathtub. She does the same trick every time. <laughs> I almost feel bad for her in this movie after watching it the second time because it's like. Hello, little boy. You notice the creepy, like, <laughs> comes out of the, the bathtub, and then it's all scary, but then she does it again, and she fails, and she does it again, and she fails. It's like, man, you should probably try a different move at this point, old woman, because <laughs> she's just lurking in the bathtub. <laughs> this is a good point. Pulls the curtain. She's like, finally, I'm going to get you this. Oh, no. <laughs> then it's like, ah, fresh meat. The young girl. I'm going to get her. Hello. Uh-oh. <laughs> Wait, you're not scared? <laughs> yeah. It's like, not again. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny this time. I was like, man, that poor old woman ghost, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> Can't teach an old ghost new tricks, I suppose. <laughs> man, you know what I wanted? I wanted that random pig man from the end of the Kubrick Shining. <laughs> oh, jeez. Where was the pig man at? The bear guy? Yeah. You know, I still don't know what the heck that's supposed to be that, in that nobody movie. Nobody knows what the heck that is. <laughs> I was hoping they'd give us some resolution, but no, the only thing I really wanted. <laughs> the only thing you've ever questioned in this <laughs> franchise of films. I'm going to say, does anybody have anything else they want to talk about with this one? Because it's Friday night, and I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. The music was good. The music was awesome. I did this with headphones, and man. Mm. Just hearing that classic theme again. Oh, It recaptures the the music from, well, the when there was music in The Shining. It recaptures that and builds upon it a lot, I thought. That opening theme has been stuck in my head like all week since I watched this movie. So good, so creepy. And yeah, the heartbeat stuff I really loved. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think we should move on. It sounds like Dan's starting to get a little worse for wear over there. Yeah. <laughs> I I apologize, everybody. Does that mean it's time to cast the bones? Unless we have any volunteers. <laughs> Dude, I will go first. Let me, let me be done. Wow. Oh, right. I need to explain this game. Oh, yeah. How do we do this? From Stephen King shining to Stanley Kubrick shining. Huh? Mm. What? <laughs> I couldn't resist. I apologize. For, from a man who hasn't even read the book. <laughs> tisk, tisk. So our scale goes from burn it, pass, watch it, or buy it. We all give a little spiel, and then we try and average it out at the end. So I'm going to keep this pretty short. You know, I feel like there was a good movie here, but it didn't come off to me that way. I did not enjoy watching this. This movie's very long. It's a drama, which isn't bad, but then it kind of like cuts back on itself being a drama. And I had more fun coming up with this stupid locomotive theory than actually watching the movie. <laughs> I'm going to give this one a burn it. Oh. I feel like I wasted money on this movie. Just watch The Shining. You You get way more out of it than this. You know, I think this movie comes... In a very uh, rough place. I mean, you know, was the studio supposed to attempt to remake The Shining in their own image? Because obviously that was a terrible idea to ever try and go up against what may be the greatest director in the history of film. 
but you cannot deny how iconic his movie is either, in the same token. And I guess Mike Flanagan did the best he could. I don't know. I don't know how I would have done it better, but I think Mad Mike and Dan had some good ideas. But that said, I came into this expecting garbage, especially after Pet Cemetery and hearing Mad Mike's uh, reviews of it. And I was pretty pleasantly surprised, actually. I, you know, I was kind of busy this week, and it's possible that I may have watched the wrong movie uh, for various reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of trying to fit this into my schedule, and I was like, geez, I'm going to block out two and a half hours. But I, I was pretty entertained the whole time. You know, I, I didn't necessarily want to just be terrified watching a movie by myself alone. And this movie isn't that scary. It's kind of tense sometimes. The heartbeat soundtrack and scary music's really solid and kind of gives it an atmosphere of tension. But there was never a moment where I was like crying or about to wet myself. You know, it's not hereditary or <laughs> one of those Annabelle goofy Blumhouse things. So I gotta say, I think I might give this one a buy it. I want to watch it again. I want to watch the director's cut one. You know, I really love Stephen King a lot. I'm a huge fan, but even outside of fanboying, I would say it would be at least a watch it if you're not a huge King fan. So if you are, though, maybe consider it. That's a buy it from old Fox. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, Fox. I had no expectations for this movie when I went and saw it the first time. And it was a pretty, like, good surprise. I really enjoyed it. And I even enjoyed it quite a bit this time, too. Um, we talked about a lot of the flaws here, and I agree with some of them. And um, But despite those, I think this movie is still very well made. And it is an interesting take on it, trying to do this weird balancing act between movies and books. Um, and I think it works for the most part. I think the shining aspects of this movie are probably the weakest, but honestly, most of the movie isn't about that anyways. And all that stuff I think is pretty awesome. It's a bit untraditional in terms of, yeah, like narrative and stuff, the focus on all of these characters, but I think he does a pretty good job. Um, I'm going to give it a bite as well. I'm very curious to watch this director's cut because I've heard it's only an improvement of this. So I am very intrigued by that. So I agree with points. Uh, that Mike's made and points that Fox and Terry have made on this one. I did enjoy this movie the majority of the way through. I had really no clue what they were going to do with it. I remember hearing way back when, when they were going to make the movie, they're like, ah, the sequel to The Shining's coming out, and it's weird. It's about Danny fighting vampires. I was like, that does sound pretty weird. But watching the movie, it works. Um, they twist the vampire thing, make it unique to the film. They take Danny's character and they deal with all the events that happened in The Shining and showcase how that's affected his life and how he's um, working to better himself so he's not like his dad and he can actually use his gift for the betterment of everybody else. Until he finds this um, little girl who's in need of a, his mentorship and protection against a greater evil. It's a unique direction to go with it, I think, because it's not a horror movie. This movie's not scary at all. There's no jump scares, really. Well, maybe there's one. I, I don't remember, but it's not scary. It's a drama. It's like a superhero drama, kind of, which is a weird way to go. <laughs> with the sequel to The Shining, when it's keeping it separate as its own thing and only 
calling back to The Shining to see how Danny's progressed as a character. It it works. It does a good job. The the balance between Danny, Abra, and Rose is pretty good. Rose and Danny do get more character development than Abra. It's not the actress's fault because she's a very good child actor in keeping with Danny Lloyd being probably the best child actor I've ever seen in The Shining. I just wish Abra had a little more characterization besides being uber powerful. I wanted a little bit more out of her character. For me, it it just falls apart at the end because it takes all of that ambiguity and mystery and horrifying elements from Kubrick's The Shining and it explains it away into just this run-of-the-mill monster mash that you see a bunch of times. To me, that's just so disrespectful to what Kubrick did. Sure, he didn't adapt um, King's story exactly and made his own thing out of it, but, you know, that's part of what happens when you're going to adapt something. I would have preferred they would have left that ending part out and just kept it doctor sleep related instead of trying to throw in and recreate scenes from The Shining. But other than that, the rest of the movie's really good, I thought. It was a surprise. I, w- I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it ended up being, so I- I'm going to give it a watch. It. it It's worth the watch. Just know if you really like Kubrick's The Shining, the ending's going to probably piss you off just a little bit, but yeah. Other than that, watch it. I want to see the director's cut, too. I'm curious if they'll expand upon the end more and maybe make it better than what we got. There you have it. Two buys, a watch it, and a burn. Where does that go? That'd be on the higher end. Somewhere between a watch it and a buy it, yeah, I would think. Maybe convince your friend to buy it so you can watch it. There we go. (laughs) Because surely somebody's going to want to buy this, it sounds like, so... (laughs) Make somebody else do it first. The two king guys gave it buys, and the two who aren't king guys gave it watch it in a burn. As far as Stephen King movies go, I would say this is definitely in the upper echelon. It's pretty easily top five. (laughs) For sure. There's a bunch of crappy king movies. Oh my goodness. Whenever we get a good one, I'm pretty excited. All right. So what do we got coming up next week? Oh, yeah. Somebody's pick, right? Ah, it's my pick next week. The final in our 2019 catch-up category. I've seen it like trailers for this, but I don't know too much about it. Uh, I'm going to pick Ad Astra, the sci-fi movie with Brad Pitt. Ooh, I wanted to see that. That was on my radar, but I know nothing about it at all. You know, I, I was I was good to go see it, but like I think weather kept me from going. Yeah, I think me and you were going to go see it, but then it snowed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was not happy. Yeah, classic snow. It's ruining all our our movie time. Ruining our movies, making us sick. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if any of you listeners out there have any uh, recommendations for us or anything you think we should cover, you can hit us up at runtherealpodcast.gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter at runtherealpodcast. We want to hear from you guys. Did you like Dr. Sleep? I need to know because... Some more mixed opinions in this place. Are they locomotives? What do you think about the theory? <laughs> you heard it first here tonight. Oh, yes. Yes, tell us if you agree with Mike's theory about 
the strange metaphor for trains. I'm not sure what Mac Flanagan is trying to say about trains, but it's definitely in there somewhere. <laughs> hey, you know, if we watch the Langoliers and this and Christine at once, we can call it the Planes, Trains, and Automobiles series. <laughs> nice. <laughs> trains heavily implied. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to us, everybody, tonight. We really appreciate it. This is Run the Real, signing off. Choo-choo! <laughs>